following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
sleeping in the midst of glory. Let's pray. I pray, Lord, that as we open your word today and study, that you will quicken our minds and our hearts, that we could understand and that we could follow. Lord, thank you. Thank you for each person who has come. I know it is for you, Jesus. So would you heal, touch, and change their hearts as you need to to bring them to life? I pray in your holy name. Amen. In Luke, the ninth chapter, we find that they have just come from Caesarea Philippi. And the question has been asked by Jesus, who do you say that I am? And Peter has answered, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you are the hope of the world. Let's be very clear as we begin to look at this today, that we are dealing with a real person, a historical person who walked the streets of Jerusalem, who walked the dusty path across the Samaritan's land into Galilee. This is a historical figure who was resurrected from the dead and who lives now to make intercession for us and to bring healing into our minds, our bodies, and our souls. But this is not a person who is easy He is serious. And so immediately, as they walk away from this encounter, away from Caesarea Philippi, and let me just paint that picture in way of review again. In Caesarea Philippi, there is just outside of town a cliff with a rock base. And out of that cliff flows a stream of water. If you were to go there today, it's just a trickle. But in the day of Jesus, they said it was a full stream flowing out of that rock face. And around that opening into the underground from which this water flowed, they had carved in the rock openings where they put the different gods that people worshipped in that day. The goat god was there. There were other gods that were in place. And it was believed that this was the entrance into the underworld. And Baal, the god of prosperity, would go down into the underworld at what we call Christmas. It was simply a pagan holiday that Baal would go down underground and fight with the god of death and then at what we call Easter, which wasn't Easter. Easter means Ishtar, the female prosperity goddess. There's nothing holy about Easter. On that day, Baal was supposed to come up out of the underworld from Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus stands in front of this rock face where they believe hell exists in the depths of the earth, And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus was issuing one of the most stunning statements of confrontation. 
that was possible. And we get mixed up sometimes because it says Peter is a stone. That's what the Greek word means. It means a piece of gravel. And then there's a different Greek word used to describe the huge rock that stands there. And you know the theme all through Scripture is that Jesus is the rock. So he's coming and he's saying, I'm going to build my church at the gate of hell, and hell cannot overcome the work of Christ in your life. If you will turn to Jesus Christ with all your heart, there is nothing that can withstand him from the powers of darkness. I had the strangest dream last night. I dreamed it was dark and suddenly, and I was awake, but I didn't know it was a dream. The light began to come in the dawn, and in front of me was a beautiful lion. It was more of a a lion cub. And I began to pet it. And it spoke to me. And it said, you don't belong here. This is not your land. And when the king comes, he's going to throw you out. Well, suddenly the the scene shifted and I was getting ready to take a major exam. And I knew I had to pass this exam. So I sat there getting ready to write the exam. The, The teacher handed out all of the booklets. It was a timed exam. My brother was sitting right beside me, and he was going to take the exam as well. This was to go into another level for the doctorate. And I had to pass this exam to enter into the program for the doctorate. By the way, I'm not going for a doctorate. Um, But I opened the the pamphlet that it it was, uh, as these exams are, and I began to read the introduction when they gave the go sign. And immediately what I was reading was talking about darkness. About the attack of the lion. You know, both Jesus and the devil are described in scriptures as lions. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil is a lion who comes to devour and kill They're standing in direct opposition, just as Jesus stood on that rock at Caesarea Philippi and said, hell cannot overcome the work of the body of Christ. As I read through this pamphlet, people began to shout. And my brother sitting next to me said, what are we doing here? And I tried to hush him up. He said, no, we shouldn't be reading this. Well, what it was, was a whole essay exposing the powers of darkness and the tricks the enemy plays to grab a hold of our minds. And finally, in frustration, I threw it down and I walked out and somebody came up to me and said, 
you know what the answer is, don't you? I said, no, what's the answer? Rebuke the realm of darkness. Rebuke the realm of darkness. So I want you to know as I begin to share this, there is no power in heaven and earth that can withstand the power and the beauty of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. Nothing the devil can bring in finances, every attack, nothing in the realm of the physical and our bodies. I thought a lot about Jan over the last five years. It's been a very lonely time for me. But I finally have made peace by simply knowing that she's ahead of me and not behind me. People have said to me, Ray, you have the precious memories to comfort your heart. No, the precious memories just make my heart sad. What gives me comfort is to know that Jesus relieved her of the suffering and took her to be with him. And she's now ahead of me, not behind me. And I want to move successfully through this life so that I can meet her on the other side. I know where I'm going. It's just the getting there that's a little difficult. Because all of the human stuff comes in and all of the intellect comes in and all of the the battles that want to pull me away from who Jesus is. Now, this is not new. The disciples went through the same battles. And I want to share with you, as Jesus begins to speak to his disciples, as they come away from that cliff face where the entrance to hell is, he said, The gates of hell will not prevail. Now he's going to tell you in your life how the gates of hell will not prevail over you. He begins in Luke, the ninth chapter. I urge you to look at this, verse 23. Luke, the ninth chapter, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. The word deny in the Greek is a verb. It's active. It means there's something you have to do. It literally means to deny that you know someone. So if I'm going to deny myself... I'm going to have to say, I don't know Ray Greenley anymore in the worldly sense. I deny him in the world. I'm not about the world. I'm not about becoming a millionaire. I'm not about becoming well-known. I'm not about any of the things this world is about. I am about Jesus Christ. That's denying myself. Then it says... Take up his cross. That word take up literally in the Greek means to weigh anchor. Pull your anchor up. Don't be held down, but allow yourself to begin to move 
toward Jesus Christ. And then it says, and follow me. Where was he going? He was going on his way to Golgotha. So you deny your life in this world. It doesn't mean you're not going to be successful. But it means your success will belong to the Lord God of heaven. It's not an issue of pride and arrogance. It's an issue that all that I do belongs to him. So I weigh anchor. I allow myself now to be carried forward. For whoever wants to save his life, verse 24, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some who stand Some who are standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Okay, that sets the stage. Now we're ready to see something magnificent. Jesus invites his disciples to go with him to a mountain. The mountain is not identified. He leaves at the base of the mountain all of the disciples except Peter, John, And James, he takes them up the mountain with him because he wants time to pray. Now, how do I say this? If you do not spend time every day praying, you will never successfully walk as a Christian. Jesus had an absolutely full schedule. He had people crowding after him. He healed their sick. He raised the dead. He taught in the synagogue. He taught in the temple gates. He had as busy a schedule as any human person could have. And he cut himself loose. If I could, he elbowed his way through the crowd And he made his way to a quiet place where he could pray. Now the disciples were also very busy. But they did not pray. Instead they went to sleep. They dozed off. Wow, is it easy for me to start to pray and to doze off in the midst of my prayer time. And the Lord has simply upped the amperage of my life to a point where if I don't pray, I'll die. Some of you know what that's like. You have to pray. But the disciples, it had not struck them yet. They still didn't understand that they were making their way to a crucifixion. They thought they were on their way to a wonderful governmental position when Jesus took his power and threw the Romans out and established a wonderful position for them. And they were arguing amongst themselves, who's going to be the prime minister? Who's going to be the treasurer? They didn't like the idea that Judas would be the treasurer because they all knew he was embezzling money out of the money bag. Verse 29 
as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as the flash of lightning. And two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. Who's Moses? Moses is the greatest of the Old Testament prophets, with the exception of John the Baptist. Moses led the children of Israel out of captivity. Moses is known for the law. So now we have the law has come to speak with Jesus, and Elijah, he is the chief of all the prophets. So the law and the prophets have come down on that mountaintop to meet with Jesus, to encourage him as he faces the crucifixion. And what are his disciples doing? They're sleeping. They're not praying. The splendor of heaven has come down on the top of this mountain. Jesus is no longer traveling in stained garments. He is absolutely as brilliant as lightning. Elijah, Moses... They're standing in resurrection splendor. They're not standing in bodies that are sick. They've received new bodies. They're in glory. The disciples, they're sleeping. Moses and Elijah, it says, appeared talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure or his crucifixion which was about to bring be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but suddenly they became wide awake. I don't want to sleep when the glory of God is about. And the glory of God only comes when a man or a woman is willing to pray. And inevitably, when you go to pray, You'll say, what do I pray about? You ask the Holy Spirit what to pray about. You ask him to quicken your heart. One of the things that I had to begin doing, because I kept going to sleep, I would open the psalm, and I would begin to read the psalm out loud to God like a prayer. Do you know the psalms are prayers? They're petitions. They're also songs of praise. And prayer is praise. So you open the Psalms and you begin to read them. You read them aloud to the Lord. And then you expand on them. The Holy Spirit begins to open them. And you begin to understand what the language of prayer is like. And how you should begin to... Psalm 62, and I'm just... I didn't choose this. I just opened my Bible. There's Psalm 62. Let me read it to you. My soul finds rest in God alone. I pray, O God, my soul finds rest in you alone. My salvation comes from you. You are my rock and my salvation. You are my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Well, now I'm in reference to those things that are coming against me, the blocks that are there before me. I stand on the promise and I pray this scriptural prayer to the Lord God of heaven, personalizing it and crying out to God. 
and the glory comes. Or it may not be physical, outward glory, but it will be glory in your spirit as you begin to find peace entering your heart and you find the power to withstand darkness. The devil hates it when you read scripture, particularly when you read it out loud. You begin to speak forth the word of God. And then how long will you assault a man? Would all of you throw him down? Lord, I'm being assaulted. I'm being thrown down. Verse 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. See, when this begins to find its way into my soul, I can't be shaken. This finds root in my heart. This is what prayer is about. This is why we pray. We don't have a little hit list and every day we pray and we go, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is about finding the heart of God. The disciples, had they learned this lesson here in the ninth chapter of Luke, later when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus needs them to minister to him, they wouldn't have fallen asleep on him. They would have understood that the power was in the prayer. See, they'd become so familiar with Jesus that they didn't know the Creator God was in their presence. So they didn't pray to him. They ate fish with him. They slept at night with him, sometimes in the field, sometimes in a house. They walked with him, but they didn't pray to him. They said, you're God, you're Messiah. Remember, I just showed it. They, they, they acknowledged him as God, but they didn't pray to him. And so they lacked strength and courage. And they went with their own ideas. It's not until we begin to cry out to God and pray the Psalms that we'll begin to come alive in the Spirit and have complete victory over the powers of darkness that would come and destroy us. Now please make make no mistake. The powers of darkness are malevolent. They are dangerous. They want to destroy God's people. They want to keep any person from coming and following Jesus. They want to tell you, look, it's all about being successful. It's all about what people think about you. It's all about your status in life. It's about the car you drive. It's about the house you live in. No, it's not. None of that is what life is about. We don't take any of it with us. How many funerals have I done? I couldn't count them all. And never once did I see a U-Haul truck follow the hearse. Somebody else got it all. They scrimped and saved and labored all of their life. And then it 
went to a son or daughter and spoiled them. They didn't have to work, and now they were wealthy, and they could give themselves every luxury they desired in their life and destroyed their lives. The disciples are asleep, but suddenly they're awakened. Can you imagine being awakened in the middle of the night and suddenly your room is filled with lightning that doesn't go out? The place is utterly brilliant, stunning. Presence of God is there. Moses, I love, or Peter, I love in the scriptures. Peter and his companions in verse 32 are very sleepy. And then they become fully awake. I bet it was like hitting them with an electric cord of some kind. The, the electricity shot through them. They were wide awake. They saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And they see that the two men are beginning to leave. How are they going to leave? They're going to ascend. Their feet are going to leave the ground. They're going to begin ascending into the heavens. Peter sees this. And he says, Master, if it's good, it's good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. How did Peter know who these men were? Obviously, he heard Jesus saying goodbye to Moses. Goodbye to Elijah. And I'm sure they were saying, be of great courage. This is hidden from us. It's not in the scripture. But I can imagine they were saying, Jesus, do it for us. And Peter speaks up. And in his foolish immaturity, he says, let's celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles right here on this mountain. Let's not go to Jerusalem Let's put up three booths. That's where they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles. I love Peter's heart because he shouldn't have spoken so impulsively in the presence of these heavenly visitors and in the presence of God. But it shows me something about Peter's heart that I love. That he didn't want glory to depart. He wanted the presence of God to remain. There was a hunger in Peter's heart that said, No, don't let them leave. Take us with you. We want to be in the glory of God. When God changes a man's heart, he no longer wants to go back to his sin. He no longer wants to go back to the darkness of this world. He wants to walk with Jesus. Now Peter has a response from God the Father. A cloud appeared. We're told in Mark the 17th chapter that it was a brilliant cloud filled with glory. It was the Shekinah presence of God. This cloud began to form It terrified them. It was so glorious and so powerful. And the presence of God came down. And he had a very quiet word to speak. Listen. Verse 34, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. 
and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. We can be very bold in our sin. But when we begin to understand that we are in the presence of God, when we begin to understand there is a war going on between human flesh and Jesus Christ, you can walk away or you can follow. But now the cloud comes of God's presence and his voice speaks. I'm sure it sounded like thunder. He says, this is my son, referring to Jesus Christ. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and told no one at that time what they had seen. Jesus, in another of the synoptic gospels, tells them, don't speak about this. People won't understand it. Now I want you to see the contrast. You have the wondrous glory of God on one side. You have heavenly visitation. You have Peter never wanting to leave that heavenly visitation. Please stay here with us. Let's build tabernacles. Let's build three shelters. Let's let's do whatever we have to do, but let's keep the glory of God present with us. If the glory of God remained with us, it would be so much easier, we would think. The children of Israel had the glory of God with them 24-7. They had a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by or a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud at day to give them covering in the desert as they were coming out of the wilderness. For 40 years they wandered. They could see the visible presence of God. They could see the glory of God. And they came to a point in their lives where they scorned the glory of God. That's why they wandered for 40 years and all died in the wilderness. It's not physical manifestations that give us hope. In Jesus Christ. It's not the glory that gives us the confidence. It's a changed heart. It's a changed heart. And that heart can only be changed by the blood of Jesus. Raphael, the great painter, painted this picture of glory on the mountain. And if you've ever stood in the art gallery as I have and looked for hours meditating on this incredible painting, the mountain he has coming down, down. And then at the foot of the mountain, he has another scene painted. It's the valley. It's the valley where you and I have to live. It's where we're going to go tomorrow. We go back to work. We go back to a family. We don't live on the mountain. We live down here in the valley. 
these mountaintop experiences, I rejoice when I have in prayer found myself in the glory of God. I rejoice in the glory of God. And one day we're going there. But today we live down here in the valley at the base of the mountain. Let's read what was happening there. Again, Luke, the ninth chapter. They came down from the mountain, verse 37. And a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. Scarcely ever leaves him and is destroying him. I beg, I begged your disciples, pardon me, to drive it out, but they could not. And Jesus speaks and he says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation. The word perverse in the Greek literally means twisted. Twisted, not straight in the way you walk, not valuing things as you should. Twisted. And then another word that describes this Greek word is corrupted. Twisted and corrupted. In other words, twisted to darkness. Twisted to darkness. And I want to tell you, the gospel is about taking the twist out of our hearts. It's about setting our feet straight and narrow on the path. It's about removing this corruption from our souls. And only the blood of Jesus removes that corruption. It calls us to surrender to him, to submit to him, and to say, Lord Jesus, I choose to serve you. I don't understand what all this is about. I'm not quite sure how to do all this, but I choose to serve you. Straighten out the twisted places in my heart. Straighten it out. Clean the corruption out of my soul. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Jesus has just come from the glory of Elijah and Moses and the visible presence of all that he used to have while he was in the heavens above. And he's homesick for heaven. But he knows he has a cross to go through before he can leave. How he wished, as it shares in other portions of Scripture, how it it sorrowed Jesus' heart that he had to wait. He wanted to go to the cross now and get it done with and leave. He wanted to go back to glory. I tell you today, I want to go to heaven. I want every twisted and corrupt thing in my soul set right by the power of God. And I want to go to heaven. I'm tired of the violence. I'm tired of the bitterness and the anger and the lying and the cheating and the stealing. I'm tired of wickedness. I hate it. I want the glory of God. I want something that's clean and pure. I want something that's wholesome and healthy. I'm sick of the disease and the attacks. He says to the man, bring your son here. 
And even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a convulsion. Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. He healed the boy. He gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Now, if you look at this story in other versions, Matthew, rather Mark, they add an extra part that isn't shared here. And that is that the father said to Jesus, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus said, if I can, if I can. And the father said, very humbly, help my unbelief and heal my son. I don't know if you have any unbelief in your heart today. I think we are all born with a bucket of unbelief. As the twistedness of our heart is removed, the faith and confidence in Jesus will grow. When you're tempted to walk away from Jesus Christ, what are you walking into? Darkness, lying, cheating. You're not, lo- you're not walking into light. You walk into your own bitterness. You walk into the realm of your own soul where you're responsible before God for who you are. Jesus healed this little boy. And they, everyone is absolutely amazed because they've been asking the other disciples to heal the boy. And the disciples have in the past cast out demons. They had the power from Jesus to bring healing to this little boy. But they couldn't do it. Everyone is rejoicing. But it's clear what's on Jesus' mind in verse 44. Listen carefully to what I'm about to tell you. The Son of Man, that is Jesus, is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Now, again in Mark, the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him, why could we not cast out this demon? Why did we have no power? The answer to this whole question is found. Verse 46. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. They had no power, first because they did not pray. And they did not pray because they were arguing amongst themselves about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom that God was going to establish. Know that just as soon as you begin to be concerned about your own success and making a name for yourself, just as soon as you begin to think that you're somebody, you are nobody in the kingdom of God. You delete in the kingdom of God all of the blessings that God wants to flow into your life 
that could flow into the lives of other people, you become powerless. It's as though you've gone to the electric outlet and unplugged the light. The Wesleyans, John Wesley, used to talk about meeking down. I find that an interesting turn of the phrase. Meeking down. Humbling our hearts before God. Letting the pride go. Meeking down before God, where we consider others better than ourselves. Where the heart is always crying out, Jesus, who can I lift? Who can I help? Who can I reach out to? Where can I bring healing? The answer to a crisis is to humble my heart and to pray. Humble my heart and to pray. And to stand by absolute faith that Jesus has heard my cry and he will answer. Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, I ask that you would humble me and this congregation in such a way that you can send your power for the healing of others. That we would let go of the pride and the arrogance, any residue of it that remains in our hearts. That we would forgive one another, that we would forgive our families, that we would forgive all offenses that we could possibly imagine have been committed against us that you could grant to us the healing power of your Spirit. Lord, I want to be on that mountain and just live up there in your glory. But Lord, I know you've sent me down the mountain to be with the people in America, to love them and to call them to repent and to follow after you, Jesus to be washed and made clean. But Lord, we need your power. So humble us so that you can trust us with your presence. Lord, have your way this week in each of us. As we walk out our responsibilities in our businesses, in our jobs, with our family, Lord, give us the courage to be humble. Give us the courage to pray. And we will watch for your glory. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with
from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.